Progressive presents Forest Metaphors about bundling your home and auto. In sports, three goals is a hat trick. And when you bundle your home and auto with Progressive, you get a hat trick of great savings and round-the-clock protection. So you might be thinking, wait, that's two things. A hat trick is three. But in this metaphor, great savings counts as two goals, and so does round-the-clock protection. So it's like four goals, and that's more than three. It's basic math. Forced Metaphors, presented by Progressive. Bundle and protect today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discount not available in all states or situations. Hey guys, what's up? Kevin Jones, founder of Blue Wire. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Do me a favor. Send it to one of your friends. We're growing this network, grassroots style. It takes everyone. You're a part of our team if you send this to one of your friends. All right, enjoy this podcast and appreciate your support. fans and welcome to another episode of Bulls HQ, a Chicago Bulls podcast. Thank you for joining me again this week as we take you through the latest news, analysis and game action surrounding our Chicago Bulls and I say game action there in my opener but thank goodness we no longer have to pretend to care about that now that the season is done. Thankfully we've finally made it to the end of this long and painful season and thank you all for hanging in there this long and following this team, but also tuning into the show during this mess. Now, I guess that we're done with this season, we can relax a little bit here, but I suppose before we completely move on into draft mode and off-season mode, it does make some sort of sense to go back over the year that was, and joining me today in going down this dark path of misery is none other than Sean Hyken of Bleacher Report. Sean, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Mate, uh, I know you haven't probably been covering this season as, as uh, well, I hope not for your sake at least, as, as diligently as you probably have been in years past. But um, I, I guess we, we've just come off listening to John Paxson give his end of the season press conference. So I didn't necessarily think we we're going to be uh, talking about that. But given that we've literally just only witnessed that only hours before, it probably makes sense to, to start off the top here with what John Paxson sort of had to say in his, his end of season press conference. And I know you did happen to tune into that. So what did you make of the Paxson presser? Well, it's kind of about what you would expect from one of these things. And I covered a number of those in a, in a row when I was on the Bulls beat. There's you know a whole lot of pointing to injuries that, you know, that that's usually a big theme. And then, you know, they're, they're, they're talking about, you know, we want to be patient. We want to, you know, do things the right way. That's always kind of a theme. Uh, there's all, you know, it's, it's, it's all kind of the same stuff every year in terms of just, you know, pointing to why it didn't work and pointing to why, you know, it's going to work better next season. You know, there's, there's always the high draft pick. You know, we're going to have a high draft pick this year. Uh, just kind of just kind of all the stuff you would expect. Obviously, the big news that came out of it was him basically saying, that yes, Jim Boylan is going to be back next year, and then that was followed pretty soon after the press conference by Joe Cowley at the Sun Times reporting that uh, they're close to doing a three-year extension with Boylan. So that's really the most newsworthy thing. But other than that, it's just kind of the stuff you'd expect. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you, you mentioned it there. I was going to bring it up later, but Jim Boylan. It, it sounded like that was going to be the the case anyway. That you could just sort of glean from the way Paxson talked about him in the past, and 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 just the way. 
I guess even Michael Reinsdorf sort of spoke about him in glowing terms that he was likely to be brought back, but it, it Paxson basically hinted as much. And, and then to your point, Cowley basically confirmed or his sources are suggesting that three-year extension here for Jim Boylan coming in pretty quickly. So that was definitely the biggest news coming out of it. But I guess the other thing that I took away from it was that Paxson was very adamant that the injuries were the reason for the completely derailed season. And I sort of get that and understand that. But I guess my prevailing thought when I'm hearing him say that is, when was the last time the Bulls didn't go through a season where they weren't completely ravaged by injury to some degree? So I don't understand this theory that next season that it's just going to be fine and that if they're injury-free that it'll be all rosy and they'll be hunting towards the playoffs. Yeah, and the other thing, it's not even just when have the Bulls not uh, had, you know, been uh, plagued by injuries during a season. When Name a team you can think of in the last year, several years in the NBA period that hasn't had at least one injury to, to a key player at some point. Like The Pacers lost Victor Oladipo for the whole season, and they're uh, – still you know in in the playoff mix uh you know there, there's so many like like Brooklyn lost Karis LeVert for a lot of the season they lost Spencer Dinwiddie they're still in the playoffs I'm not I'm not suggesting that the Bulls should have made the playoffs because obviously this team isn't very good even when they were healthy but I just don't like like the the idea that oh you know the the, the reason that this season didn't go well is because there were injuries like that's and I don't know that to me, that's just sort of that, that just sort of rings hollow. And to me, that's sort of a way for, for them to basically deflect blame and saying, hey, it's not it's not our fault that the season went sideways the way it did, as though it wasn't them that decided to sign Jabari Parker and thought that was going to be a good fit. And then, you know, handled the Hoiberg, you know, the coaching change and the, and the installation of Jim Boyle in the way that they did and and and, and just kind of all this other stuff. But like, I, I certainly agree that injuries played a part of it. I mean, the fact is, Lowry Markinen only played one game before Hoiberg got fired. Uh, and then Levine and Porter missed a bunch of time at the end of the season. And Wendell Carter uh, missed a bunch of time, you know, basically starting in January, he missed almost half the year. And so, you know, I, there is definitely something to the idea that yes, they probably would have won more than 22 games if they hadn't had this uh, spate of injuries that they had. But I don't think it tells the whole story to just point to all of that. No, certainly not. And I mean, uh, whilst I certainly agree with that, Paxson did allude to the fact that he doesn't think there's much that can be done about this, that that the injuries that the Bulls sustained were freak incidents, you know, things that you can't necessarily protect against. And I, I, I sort of understand what he's getting at there, but he also did go on to mention that he feels like the training staff and, and all the medical team around him, that the you know their protocols are top notch. They're amongst the the best in the league, and all the players really have to do is just turn up in the off season, work out in Chicago, and follow the uh, the the protocols set out there by the Bulls medical and, and training staff, and they probably won't be hurt as much. Uh, may, maybe I'm paraphrasing a little bit there, but that's the sentiment that Paxson was pretty much saying. Yeah, I thought that was a little bit weird of a comment to make, basically saying that it's on the players to prepare better or work out better so that they don't get injured like i i thought that was a little bit weird and i i I don't know if i would have gone there if i was if i was paxton because these injuries it's not like there's a pattern of like you know this particular injury like you can point to like you know lowry markin and if only he had worked out a little bit differently or if he had done a little something different in practice then he wouldn't have had that freak elbow injury during training camp like this this is you know when you're playing a sport whether it's basketball or football or whatever you're going to get hurt at some point. Like it's just, it's just a thing that could happen. And so, 
you know, saying that, oh, he should have just not gotten hurt. Like, I thought that was a little bit weird. I don't, I, I, I'm not overreacting to it as much as like, I think, I think some, you know, corners of Bulls Twitter when that comment came out, it was all like, oh, he's just completely blaming the players for getting injured. I, I don't think I'd quite go that far, but I just thought it was a little weird. No, I, I certainly agree. And the weird part to me was the fact that he basically alluded to the, the strength and conditioning staff that had Larry not gone through that and bulked up the way he did in the offseason, that he may have missed the full season with the elbow injury. I don't know where that came from. That seemed kind of off the cuff there by Paxson, but that was, I don't know if, it was, if that's actually true or not, that he would miss an, an entire season because of an elbow injury, but that was kind of one of those stark moments in that press conference where I sort of actually... My ears perked up a little bit. And I was thinking, what the hell is this guy talking about here? Well, the the one, the, I think the comment, I mean, the, that stuff was a little bit weird. But the, the comment that really stood out to me, and this was just kind of an off-the-cuff thing, or, or just kind of an offhand thing, you know, people sort of brushed past it. When he was talking about why Boylan is so is so great and why he's the right coach for the team, he was talking about how in four months he's had more communication with Boylan than he has with the last two coaches. Now, obviously, we know that by the end of the Thibodeau era, he and the Gar and Pax were just, like, basically not on speaking terms. Yeah. So that like, that that part of it wasn't a surprise. But the fact that, you know, Hoiberg was their guy. He was handpicked. He was there. They basically didn't put him in a great position to succeed for so long. And then for Paxson to come out and say today, uh, oh, you know, I've had so much more communication with Boylan than I did with Hoiberg, I get what he was trying to do there. And I think he thought that would be seen as, oh, he has so much communication with Boylan that's why this relationship is so great but I almost think that it says more of the other way about you know why wasn't there better communication with Hoiberg and you know I, I'll bet you know I wonder if he was trying to you know throw Fred under the bus there or if that was what he was implying but or but e- either way it just it's it the whole press conference I mean as predictable as it was a lot of my, my biggest takeaway is that the whole thing was just weird like uh, all the different things he said that you know the, the the way he tried to paint certain things it was it was just it was bizarre he was in a surprisingly good mood as well, which I found weird. I'm not used to seeing Paxson look comfortable and smiling and, and jovial and all these sorts of things. So I wasn't sure what was going on, but he seemed really uh, quite comfortable, which, you know, you go back to the trade deadline where he was sort of accusing the media of, uh, you know, basically uh, <laughs> accusing of him, you know, being interrogations almost rather than interviews. It seemed like a different John Paxson here. I thought that was so laughable when he did that because, yeah. like, I don't, I don't think any of the questions that anybody's asking in these press conferences or that Danny Parkins was asking on that score interview that, that he kind of had that, that, uh, that whole moment at, like, I don't think any of the questions that people are asking, uh, were unfair or were out of line or were personal. These are the kinds of questions that, you know, when you're, when you're the, the president of basketball operations for an NBA team, you get paid a lot of money. And part of getting paid as much money as he gets paid is you have to deal with, you know, the kinds of questions that are going to come at you about how you're doing your job. That's just part of the job. This is what you sign up for. And like for, for them to, for him to basically say like, oh, every time you ask me this, it's an interrogation. Well, it's because, you know, the results of these last few years have been what they've been. That's why people are asking all these questions. All these people, you know, if, if everything, you know, works out amazingly, like, like, if, if the Bulls, you know, get to the playoffs next year and they're seriously contending to even get out of the first round, like, you know, get to the second round, or, you know, they look like they're in the mix. I think a lot of these media people that he's accusing of just kind of complaining about whatever they do, I think these people will all be lining up to give them credit if that happens. It's just a matter of you have to look at, you know, the past evidence of how the last few years have gone and, you know, how things project to be in the future. And you don't see that as very likely to happen. And so it's worth asking some of those questions. Yeah, certainly. Certainly. I, I definitely agree with that. And like, look, I'm just being cynical. I just wonder if, 
you know, the way he performed in you know, January, February, if someone had got, got into his ear and said, you know, maybe take a different, a more tactical uh, approach in, in this press conference here at the end of season one compared to how he performed on, on radio maybe a few months back. But again, that's me just being cynical. Maybe he was just in a good mood. Maybe he's just happy like us that the season is over. But um, I guess the other thing that was interesting or of note was the fact that Paxson wasn't so cagey around what he what his expectations were for Chris Dunn. He made it pretty clear that, Chris Dunn needs to improve. It sounds like he'll probably be back next season, but he will be back and be facing a lot of point guard competition, whether that's through the draft or free agency. But Paxson basically was pretty clear that, you know, Chris Dunn, he needs to shape up pretty quickly or he's going to be out the door pretty soon. Well, that was just kind of a political answer. He's not going to come out and say, look, we're we're just done with him. We're moving on from him. He's not going to say that with the draft and free agency and that whole window coming up because I'm, you know, in an ideal world, like I'm sure it wouldn't take that much. Like, like the the Bulls are extremely listening to offers on Chris Dunn. If any team wants to call and offer anything of any value, like whether it's any kind of you know young player who could be decent or any kind of draft pick, even you know not even a first, maybe even a couple second rounders, it probably wouldn't cost that much for a team to get Chris Dunn. As it is, like like his value has never been lower than it, than it already uh, than, than it is right now. And so if, if Paxson were to come out and say, oh, yeah, Chris Dunn is not going to be back. We're just we're moving on from him. Then his value goes even lower and they don't even get to get anything for him, probably because every team in the league knows that they're just going to try to move on from him at the soonest possible moment. So he has to put up the perception that, hey, you know, we still believe in him. We, you know, he's still in the mix. But yeah, from everything I've heard and people I've talked to in Chicago and people I've talked to in the organization, I think they're pretty uh, convinced at this point that he's not going to be a long term piece now. Who is going to be the long-term guy? I'm not sure uh, going forward. I know John Morant is a guy that they've scouted pretty heavily. And if they get, depending on how the draft lottery shakes out and, you know, assuming they don't get the number one pick. And uh, obviously, if you get the number one pick, you're taking Zion. But if they don't get the number one pick, I think Jaw is probably the guy they're going to target. And I know free agency is kind of an area where I've heard that they're going to look for a veteran point guard. I would think a guy like Patrick Beverly would make a lot of sense. So I think there's a number of different ways they could go there. But I don't think Chris Dunn is a guy they see anymore as part of the core the way that they do, you know, a guy like a Zach Levine or a Lowry Markkinen or a Wendell Carter. Whereas at the beginning of the season, I think they were still holding out hope that, you know, Chris Dunn could be part of that group that was going to be there for a long time. Yeah, yeah. and to your point, Paxson basically alluded to the fact that they will be chasing veteran free agents in, in, in the offseason. So we should be expecting maybe one, two, maybe even three, depending how they cut up that $20 million in cap space to be bringing in some veteran uh, veteran free agents here, and you mentioned Patrick Beverly. That's a, that's an obvious name and a name that makes complete sense given the point guard situation. But did you see Dunn's comments? You know, a couple of days ago, where he he mentioned that he didn't know that the situation was going to be where there would be multiple ball handlers on the floor. That therefore, he had he known that he would have prepared differently in this season for this season rather. Like, did, did you see those comments? And were you as baffled by them as I was? I did see that, and you know what? And this is this is when he's you know I I I kind of vaguely saw those comments. Was he talking about at the beginning of the season? He didn't know what it was going to be, or is he talking about kind of towards the end? Because is because I want to know is that a shot at Hoiberg or is that a shot at Boylan? Well, my my interpretation of the quote was he was coming into the season thinking you know he would be the the lead ball handler. Things diverted eventually through or away from Dunn through to Lowry as they obviously should, but. He didn't. He did mention that he didn't realize that this would be a multiple ball handler situation. But so, uh, uh, irrespective of whether it was you know at the start of the season or the end of the season, I don't understand how he can come to the conclusion that in the modern NBA there would literally only be one ball handler. Uh, that, that that was you know really 
really quite some sort of quote from Chris Dunn. It blew my mind. Yeah, I thought that was a little bit weird too, I guess. But I, but I mean, this goes back to my, my last full year on the Bulls beat, which was the three alphas year. A whole bunch of different guys on the team, you know, some of those young guys, whether it was Bobby Portis or Denzel Valentine or, you know, whoever, you know, any of those guys, uh, a lot of them had said at various points that they it wasn't Michael Carter Williams, whoever, like it wasn't really clear to them what their role was. And that hadn't been communicated to them uh, directly. So some of it may be still that like maybe that was still an issue with Fred Hoiberg. And maybe that was one of the things that led to him getting let go. But, yeah, if you're Chris Dunn, I mean, especially when, you know, he had such a bad rookie season that he made some strides last year. He didn't have a great year last year by any means, but he showed, OK, he's an NBA player. He's not a complete bust. So, but yeah, you have to be preparing for multiple different scenarios. Like, and, 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 you know, then especially after they make the auto porter trade and they completely change kind of the, the rotation and all, and, and, you know, and all this kind of stuff, like you have to be more ready than, than that. So I, I thought that was a little bit of an interesting comment from Dunn, but either way, I don't think he's going to be a huge part of their plans. I mean, he'll, he'll be there next year probably because he's under contract for one more year which is basically what John Paxson said today. He literally said he's under contract, and so we're, we expect him to be back. But if a team decides, okay, maybe we can take him as a reclamation project, I don't think it would take too much twisting of uh, John Paxson and Gar Foreman's arms to get them to pull the trigger on a trade if they can get anything at all back for him. No, certainly agree, and it's certainly shaping up to be that way. But let's move away from the Paxson press because like, there wasn't too much to glean from it. But uh, let's, let's just talk more about this. This wasted season, I guess we can call it that, this disjointed season, that was Paxson's words. But very simple and very high-level question for you, because I have no idea what the answer should be to this answer, uh, to this question. But what the hell are we meant to, or what the hell are we supposed to make of this of this mess of a season? Is there anything to uh, to learn or to to take advantage of at all? I mean, I think there are there are there are positives you can take away from it, but. Overall, it was it definitely was not a good. Forget the wins, the number of wins and losses. Like the Bulls, the Bulls are the fourth worst record in the league. They're trying to get a high draft pick. They're in a pretty good position to win, you know, to do well in the draft. Like that, like that's fine. The end result is fine, but a lot of the stuff, you know, between you know the the dysfunction and you know the the mutiny and all that kind of stuff in the first week with Boylan and then uh, the amount of injuries that they had. I'm not I'm not saying like oh this is an excuse for why it is. I'm saying this is stuff that happened that is not good. Like if, if you if your team is going to lose a lot of games, you want to at least be able to say, okay, but these young players got better in this specific way. And these guys who are going to be our core, you know, learned how to play together. And, you know, they developed chemistry. Wendell Carter and Lowry Markinen were on the court together for like a month at most uh, before Carter, but after Markinen had his, in, uh, came back from his injury and before Carter had his thumb injury that put him out the, the whole season. So like, they, like you don't even have, like you can point to, Oh, these two really developed some chemistry throughout the year. They traded for Otto Porter. He looked like he's going to be a great fit. Uh, no matter who else is around him, you know, he, you know, he really transformed their team. And then he missed basically the last couple of weeks of the season. And maybe that was just them holding him out, trying to lose games, but you don't want, to just not have any of these guys play with each other. I mean, the, the, the losses themselves are fine for, you know, your lottery position, but you want to have had your guys have experience playing together. And they didn't really get as much of that as you would hope that they would. And then, you know, even secondary guys like Chandler Hutchison, who showed some promise during the time he was able to play before he missed uh, mo- like the 
the second half of the season or Denzel Valentine, who was a guy who I thought had a pretty good year last year and then didn't play at all this year. Like you, ju- you, you, you know what there's, you can really, you can really have to take away from it. Like they kind of stagnated as much as there were some positives. Like, you know, I think Levine had a pretty good year. Obviously Markinen had that great month of February. He really showed, you know, if he can do what he was doing that month consistently, he could be like a perennial all-star type of player. Otto Porter looks like he's going to be a really good fit uh, going forward with this group. But those are all just kind of small flashes of like, this is a positive thing. There's certainly nothing to make you look back at the season and say, well, they're definitely in a good place going forward. Like I would with another rebuilding team like Atlanta or something like that. Yeah, 100% agree. And this was meant to be a year of development. And and I, I said that at the start of the season. And obviously it remained the case throughout the season. But to your point, we barely got to see the core guys really function together, which unfortunately was a the theme of last season, which is, I go back to a point where I mentioned before is, when do when was the last time we saw the Bulls not be riddled with injury? This was the theme last season where Chris Dunn, Zach Levine, and Larry Markkinen barely played enough minutes together. We came into that into this season wanting to see how that three man unit would really combine and sort of function going forward. We obviously didn't get to see much of it because Dunn and Lowry were injured throughout the season, but then obviously you add Wendell Carter to the mix, but then he gets injured. Basically, except for Robin Lopez, who's apparently <laughs> Iron Man. Wait, <laughs> shout, out, shout out to Robin Lopez. Yeah. Like he's, he's such a good soldier throughout this whole thing. It would have been so easy for him to just ask for a buyout and they probably would have given it to him, but he was just like, no, I want to be here. I want to uh, you know, be with these guys and... And he just kind of stuck to it, and like seeing some of seeing some of these li- these these lineups that they were throwing out by the end of the season, where the starting lineup was like Archie Diakono, uh, Jakar Sampson, Wayne Seldon, uh, whoever, and then Robin Lopez. Like you got all these G League guys, and then you have. 11-year NBA veteran Robin Lopez, who has proven to be a solid starter throughout his career. It's like one of these things is not like the other. Yeah. Well, I mean, for, hopefully for his sake, he's picked up a few extra million dollars here and, here and there for, you know, showing showing out and showing that he can, you know, put up, you know, 13 points, five rebounds, something like that. Maybe he's earned himself an extra million or two on his contract for, for next season going forward. Hopefully for his sake, that's his just reward for putting up with this nonsense. He's made it sound like he wants to come back. He does sound like he wants to come back. It'll be interesting to see what the Bulls want to do with with Robin Lopez. It'll probably come down to price, obviously. But it, it, I, yeah. given Felicio has been this bad, and you know you can't necessarily rely on him being your backup center, they do definitely need a backup center. Whether that's Robin Lopez or someone else, that that's a hole they need to fill in free agency. And um, I don't know why you wouldn't bring back Robin Lopez, given his status as a veteran and the fact that that locker room respects the hell out of him. Yeah, I would. I would look at that. I might even be. I would. I, I think Taj Gibson's another guy who has yeah, Bulls ties. Obviously, who would make a lot of sense. He probably won't cost much more than the minimum at this point in his career. And I think he would. He would want to come back. And he has about as close to a one hundred percent approval rating among teammates, fans, and coaches that there is. So, like that. That would be a move that I think would make a lot of sense. But if they wanted to bring Robin Lopez back too, he's just you know he's a good locker room guy, and he you know, on the court you know what you're going to get out of him. He knows what he is. He seemed like. He, before Wendell Carter got hurt, he seemed like he didn't really have a problem coming off the bench for a 19-year-old rookie. So, uh, I, you know, if, if they wanted to bring him back, I would certainly not think that was a bad idea at all. No, definitely not. But a, a guy that they won't be bringing back, or look, at least I hope they won't be bringing back, is Jabari Parker. And <laughs> how quickly we forget about the Jabari Parker experience. And I, I want to take you back to last July or somewhere in that range, July, August, whatever his, his presser was, his introductory presser, but... When he declared that 
players don't get paid to play defense. Was there any chance this season wasn't going to go to the shit after he sort of said that? I mean, it just felt like once he sort of said said that sort of thing, just the negativity negativity of this team really ramped up and it sort of just kept going um, even more after that. Obviously, the injuries started to climb in afterwards, which didn't help the situation as well. But how quickly we have forgotten the Jabari Parker experience and how bad it got off uh, in July. Well, there mo- most people kind of as soon as they were even rumored to be interested in talking to him, most people were kind of like, "Wait, why are you doing this? This is like that <laughs> makes no sense." Especially, especially when you consider a, you know, their two core guys that they're building around at this point are Lowry Markkinen, <laughs> who's a power forward, and Wendell Carter, who's a center. They still had Robin Lopez. They still had Bobby Portis, who obviously they traded later on, but at the time. They still viewed him as a guy that was going to be there going forward. Jabari Parker had proven over the last couple of seasons in Milwaukee that his best position was power forward. And now you're going to bring him in when you have this crowded front court. You're going to have him play small forward. It was basically a PR move, just like signing Dwayne Wade was a couple summers before, where they're just like, oh, he's a Chicago guy and he's a big name. Uh, you know, this will sell some tickets and this will get the casual fans excited. That's really why they brought him in. And I give Fred Hoiberg a lot of credit for seeing that, you know, the Bulls, that the front office wanted. Jabari to play small forward and for Fred to just be like no I'm not doing that like that makes no sense and then Fred basically pulled the plug on that experiment after like two preseason games so you know I I, I never thought that the Jabari thing made sense but then when you, when he said the they don't pay players to play defense type uh, thing that he said like I, I was just like okay this is this is not gonna go well no, 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 it certainly did not. And, and to his credit, he lived up to that. He was true to his word. So I, I guess he yeah. deserves some some sort of praise for uh, yeah, at least being honest. what you get. And he's been, he's been playing decent since he got to Washington. So, you know, good for him, you know, getting, I mean, that's the, but the thing is, I think, I think some people wanted Jabari to do well because by all accounts, Jabari's a really good dude. And like, he does a lot in the community and he's not, he's not, he's not a bad guy. And so people weren't like, when people were talking about like, criticizing the move, it wasn't because they don't like Jabari Parker or think he's a bad guy. Cause obviously he's, you know, he has a lot of off the court things going for him, you know, that speak to his character and whatever. But it was a terrible fit for the Bulls from a basketball standpoint. And, you know, I think the front office should have seen that from day one because it seems like everybody else did. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and another thing that we've sort of forgotten about, we forgot a little bit about Jabari here, but another thing that we forgot about was, it's, for whatever reason, this storyline sort of went away in the last few months of the season. But I want to talk about the leadership committee. But, but before I do that, I want to tell the listeners about this week's sponsor, which is Ethos Life Insurance, getethos.com. Life can be stressful, but getting life insurance shouldn't be. That's why there's Ethos. Ethos is a modern kind of life insurance that's super fast, incredibly affordable, and very uncomplicated. At getethos.com, there are no medical exams for policies covering under a million dollars, no hours of paperwork or meetings with pushy representatives. It only takes 10 minutes to apply, and you can be rest assured knowing you've taken steps to protect your family. And in most cases with Ethos, you can have the peace of mind for less than a cup of coffee a day with no hidden fees. Having life insurance can free you from stress. Getting life insurance shouldn't cause it. Discover how uncomplicated life insurance can be at Ethos. Get your free instant quote and submit your complete application in minutes. Just go to getethos.com. That's E-T-H-O-S, getethos.com, getethos.com. Back to the show now. I want to talk about the leadership committee and the fact that it disappeared after two to three months. I want to know what happened to it, Sean. Why, why did we start forgetting about the, 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 the vaunted leadership committee that sort of was put in place after that fateful December run. Where, where did it go? Is it, is it going to be a thing next season? 
Well, everybody who was on the leadership committee, like Justin Holiday was on the leadership committee. He got traded. Uh, Bobby <laughs> Portis, I believe, was also on the leadership committee. He got traded. Wendell Carter got injured. Like, it, it just kind of disappeared. But I, I, I thought that was just ridiculous on its face when it happened. It was really just like a, <laughs> a like a PR thing after the first week of the of the Boylan era when they get blown out by fifty six points. The Celtics and the the players want to not show up to practice and like they were just like oh now we're starting a leadership committee to be uh to communicate better with the coaching staff and it's like i mean i mean it seems so long ago but there, there was a week where the bulls were the biggest laughing stock in the league after all that kind of, after all this stuff happened and then you know boylan was you know talking about double lose and <laughs> like he's juiced and jacked and chandler Hutchinson's soul is awesome this this is the one thing you know however you feel about jim boylan as a coach like nobody that they could hire as a coach is gonna be better for content than jim boylan like he, <laughs> he's got the boylan like like he's 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 like the yogi Berra of nba coaches he just has so many great quotes that you you can just like that are just going to be enduring for a long, long time to come. I go through stages with it. Like there's, there are moments when I'm thinking, this is hilarious. This is so good. I'm, I'm glad that we have, uh, you know, at least we have this sort of nonsense to sort of pull us through this, these down periods. But then there are other times, depending on my mood, where, I, where it just triggers me and I get absolutely shitty about the whole thing. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? What do you, what do you mean preparing the children for the road? And what, what does that even mean? I, I don't get it, but... Oh man, he he's an interesting character, that Jim Boylan. But we'll talk more about Boylan a little bit later on. I've got a whole section on him that, uh, <laughs> that unfortunately we'll have to get to. But another sure. thing people forget is Carmelo Anthony was a Chicago Bull this season, even if it was for the briefest of moments. But the Bulls management finally got their guy. They finally got Carmelo Anthony to... Well, he didn't necessarily walk through the doors, but... He did not even walk through the... I don't <laughs> think he set for the Chicago one. Because I remember when that trade happened, they basically... They didn't even like make him take a physical. I don't think he set foot in Chicago. No. But I almost wish, just just for the sake of entertainment, they should have just like had him suit up for a game and just <laughs> and just and just threw him out there. And, you know, just, and just, 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 just to give the fans something to, like, who... who have been there because you know they still I'm sure they still have all those billboards like put like up in storage somewhere of when they you know put all the billboards up around the United Center when they tried to recruit him in uh 2014 I that that's you know something that uh you know it would it would have been a good like like self-aware moment for them to do that but I, that's just not really what the Bulls do but yeah did you did you see uh mellow Way or Lamelo, LeBron, and Chris Paul all sitting together at uh, Wade's final game in Brooklyn last night. Yeah, I did see that, and I saw I saw Mallow getting ready to to jack up that shot uh, in typical Mallow fashion. That was pretty funny, actually. Did you did you did you see Mellow on uh, Deezus and Mero uh, a couple of weeks ago? Do you watch Deezus and Mero? Do they have that in Australia? No, uh, well, we definitely do. Uh, but I uh, know I don't. I don't. I didn't see that. What what happened? Well, he just, it was an interview and he, he seems like he's just like loving life. I'm, I'm sure he would like to get back in the NBA, but if you're mellow, like he's made so much money, like he's like, he's got a good life. He's got other interests outside of the NBA. Like I, it was a little bit weird for him to go out the way he did where it was such a disaster, his brief stint in Houston. But yeah, uh, it's it, like the mellow era for the bulls. Like I almost wish, uh, cause remember over the summer when, you know, the, the thunder did the trade with, uh, the Hawks to basically offload his contract. And then the Hawks immediately bought him out. And then the Hawks Twitter account said that like got a Carmelo Anthony Hawks Jersey made up and tweeted out like, thanks for the memories mellow. I almost <laughs> wish the bulls social media team had done that just 
just to have a little bit of fun with it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we, we deserve that. After getting rid of Jabari Parker, who better than to to bring in than Carmelo Anthony, you know, the, the 10-year-old version or 10-year-older version of Jabari Parker. That would have been nice for us to have, particularly after all the stuff that's sort of gone on from 2014 as onwards. This management team were very keen in getting Carmelo Anthony, so it kind of would have been poetic for him to go out or, you know, his last team um, to be the Chicago Bulls and to be wearing that balls across the chest as he sort of exited into his retirement there. But we didn't necessarily get that, unfortunately, for us. How do you think Carmelo would have felt about uh, about Jim Boylan making him do push-ups <laughs> during practice? How do you think he would have reacted to that? I, not, not favorably, I'll put it that way. I, he definitely would not have been doing it. Carmelo doesn't seem like the guy that's going to be working out extensively on his body throughout an NBA season. I don't know if he would... Uh, I don't know if you'll necessarily get into push-up position or doing star jumps or anything else that Jim Boylan would have his team, uh, his team or his, his players sort of having to do there. I don't think Mallow's the type to uh, subscribe to that pretty easily. Uh, but look, who, who knows? Maybe maybe Boylan would have connected with him. Maybe maybe he would have been able to um to talk him into it. Maybe Mallow is the road dog that we didn't know he he was, but. Who knows? But we do know the players on this roster and how they reacted to Jim Boylan. The one that was probably the most vocal about how things were playing out and how he didn't necessarily feel about it or you know feel so strongly about it was Zach Levine. And it was interesting to see his his relationship with Jim Boylan sort of mature over the season. It, it was quite frosty at times. And we basically had Zach Levine calling out Boylan saying, the way we're playing or the way we're running things is, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, I'm putting words in his mouth, but He's basically saying it was ridiculous. He was alluding to other sort of rebuilding teams that were playing the the right way, getting up and down the court uh, pretty fast, shooting threes, playing a modern brand of basketball. I can only think he had the Atlanta Hawks in mind. But it was interesting to see that we moved from that position where Zach Levine was quite critical of the, of Jim Boylan and his coaching philosophy to the point where Zach Levine was actually, at one point, offering to pay Jim Boylan's fine after he got a technical foul. So... It was it was weird to see their development in terms of a, that player coach relationship. Well, it's just going to be a certain amount of whiplash in terms of uh, you know going from such a mild mannered guy like Hoiberg to the exact polar opposite, uh, which is Jim Boylan. So I'm sure a lot of these players uh, are you know I, I don't think there's anybody left on the team that played for Tibbs at this point, but uh, I but but like. You know, going, go, going, you know, going from going, you know, you're, it's not just like, oh, this is a coach with a little bit different personality. This is like the two exact opposite ends of the spectrum, Hoiberg and Boylan. And so, you know, Hoiberg, you know, he was going at him, you know, one way, you know, he was, you know, he was, he was, uh, you know, approaching things a certain way. And then, uh, you know, you go from that to the exact opposite of guy who's like making guys run suicides and do push ups and have two and a half hour practices after a back to back. And it's like, and it's like, you know, you, you can totally understand why these players are going to be like, what, you know, what is this? Like, like, who is this guy? Why should I listen to this guy? And then I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's just kind of with any new relationship. I don't know how much of the, 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 you know, re- improved relationship between Jim Boylan and Zach Levine. I don't know how much of that is real and how much of that is just kind of their both. They both realized it was in their best interest to, you know, put on a good face publicly from a PR standpoint. I would guess that there's probably still a little bit of like, if you asked Zach Levine and made him, you know, drink truth serum, I think he would probably rather have a different coach than Jim Boylan. But they're like, they're, the, the mutiny stuff kind of stopped after that first week when, you know, Boylan calmed down a little bit, uh, and, and yeah, players kind of just started to realize, okay, this is just how it's going to be now. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a completely weird situation, the whole thing from the mutiny onwards. But the best we saw of Zach Levine and the best we saw of Larry Markton was in February when the, the offense opened up. It, it seemed like Jim Boylan had 
relinquished his release on the team somewhat and we we got to see them really perform quite well in that February sort of 10-game sample. Now, a lot has been made about that, which I want to touch on a little bit later on, but do you subscribe to this theory that Boylan needed to come in and be that, that kind of aggressive that, you know, in the same way that he needed to because of what Hoiberg was, they really needed a complete 100% shift in terms of the other direction. Do you think that needed to happen? Do you subscribe to that theory, which I know certain segments, uh, segments of the fan base do, or do you sit back here and wonder now that the season is done and just wonder maybe if Boylan doesn't necessarily go full psycho straight away and maybe approach it a little bit, a little bit more tactfully? That maybe that February sample that we saw, you know, that ten-game sample, maybe that could have happened a lot sooner if things didn't get off in in such rocky fashion. I I, I will say this: I knew Boylan a little bit from when I was on the beat before, and I always found him pretty normal and easy to talk to, and just kind of I didn't I didn't I didn't realize, you know, that it, things were going to go the way that they went those first couple of weeks. So I was a little bit taken aback by some of the stuff he was doing, but. Uh, I, I, I maybe would have like soft pedaled it a little bit. I guess I, I guess his thinking was like, okay, like I think he used the term shock and awe. Like he was just gonna come in right away, put his stamp on on it. I'm not sure I would have approached it the way that he did, but I mean that that's kind of what his thinking was. Now, as far as that ten game sample where you know they were playing so well, I think most of that was was after you know the auto porter trade happened and the personnel was so different that I don't know if you can really point to, you know, the, anything that was going on before that and say, you know, okay, this is just not, you know, you know we're, we're not, you know, uh, we're going to, you know, this would have happened sooner. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's a fair point. The the Otto Porter trade definitely changed the uh, the dynamic of this team. But like, I mean, if I go back to December and January, there was there was games where where Jim Boylan was audibly you could hear him on the broadcast just basically telling Chris down Chris Dunn not to to push the ball and to really slow it down and to to walk the ball up past the half court line. That's just one example of the of the dramatic change he sort of implemented versus Fred Hoiberg. Obviously, that's sort of. Like I said, he relinquished that somewhat in February. But the, I guess they're the small things that I'm talking about that did we need to go you know, back to this sort of archaic brand of basketball where for a period, the Bulls were actually the 30th ranked offense in the league. They finished 29th in offensive rating, but there was a point where they were dead last in the NBA and were dead last by quite a bit. And I just wonder if we have to go through that complete mess uh, during you know December and January, and the reason why I ask that is because that's when we really mainly got to see Wendell Carter Jr. and we we forget that we didn't necessarily see the best of Wendell Carter Jr. and I think a big part of that is because of you know the point when he was playing with the Bulls is when we were going through this uh, really challenging style of play. What 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 did you make of Wendell Carter's rookie season, and what are you expecting of of him for you know from next season onwards? I think he's going to be really good. I mean, you, you, you just saw already for, for you know, th- there, there was kind of a fouling issue early on, which is going to happen for any rookie, but just his defensive awareness and his ability to kind of be in the right places is just something you don't really see a lot from a 19-year-old. And, you know, he has a jump shot that, that looked decent. I think he's going to be a really good player. Uh, I definitely think he would benefit from playing in a in an offense that was a little bit faster paced than what uh, the Bulls are playing under Boylan, whether it's Boylan that is the one that decides to run more, and he's paid lip service to that in recent weeks, or whether, you know, they end up bringing someone else in eventually. Uh, you know, I think I think that would be, you know, him and Markkanen together, if you put him, put them in kind of a faster paced system, I think that would uh, benefit both of them. But yeah, I mean, before the injury, I thought Wendell Carter was you know there were there were times when he looked kind of lost out there which is going to happen for any rookie but overall I think they have to be very happy with what they saw out of him before he had the thumb injury 
Yeah, look, I, I, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I think he is the best prospect on this roster. I, I know most people probably won't agree with me given the season that Larry Markkinen had and even Zach Levine. He, I think he sort of redefined what his baseline of, of, of best best case scenario could be, but I, I'm very high on Wendell Carter. But I mentioned Zach, I mentioned Larry then. What, what did you make of their season? And look, Zach was pretty consistent all season, but we saw the best of Larry in February, but what did you generally make of their season and, and bringing it back to that February sample? Are we reading in too much on a 10-game sample here and projecting too much based on that, or do you think some of that is justified? I think when all of these guys are healthy and playing together, I, I really think the bigger thing was the auto Porter trade. That just opened up so much for them because they weren't really getting a lot out of Justin Holiday before that trade. And then, uh, you know, you bring in a guy like Otto Porter, who is a guy who can knock down threes, but doesn't need the ball in his hands and a good defender and can defend multiple positions. Like, that just opens up so much for everybody else. I don't think it's a coincidence that Lowry started playing his best basketball of the season once Otto got there and, you know, was another guy to open up the floor for him. Uh, it, you know, I, it, it just kind of makes sense that, that, that that's going to happen. You know, I, I, and I think we're starting to see, like, I don't know if you can say, oh, look at this 10-game sample. This is what it's going to be all year. But there are things you can look at and say, okay, these guys play well together. I, you know, it, it's development and, you know, chemistry. That stuff is never linear. I've been around this stuff, the league, long enough to know that it's never, you know, oh, this team showed flashes of this. That means they're going to take a step forward next year. But there's enough there I think you can look at and say, you know, if everybody comes back healthy and if things go right, yeah, I could, I could see that kind of pretending to some things, but I don't think it's a guarantee by any means. No, I definitely agree with that. And schematically and, and just the rotation itself, it made a lot more sense after the trade, which which is obviously a good trade by the Bulls, which is a good segue into the next section that I want to talk about was the, the trades and transactions that sort of occurred with the team, ignoring those cash consideration moves. And we talked about Camelo Anthony a little bit earlier on, but ignoring those sorts of moves where the Bulls were obviously getting in that, that sweet, sweet cash. They made some pretty good moves this season in terms of the, the trades they did make. Obviously, you referenced the Otto Porter trade. They sent out Jabari Parker and Bobby Portis to bring in Otto Porter. Obviously, a very significant train, but a trade rather. But we learned this week that it was close to not actually happening. And in fact, that it was reported that the Bulls were very close to making a deal with the Lakers where they would have sent Jabari Parker to the Lakers for Contavious uh, Caldwell Pope and Michael Beasley. So thankfully, that trade didn't go through. And I believe KCP had veto power on that trade. So thankfully, it didn't go through because basically the Bulls used Jabari's contract to bring in Otto Porter Jr. and how things, how differently things look if uh, if they don't do that. So that was actually, one, it was a good trade on face value, but when you sort of consider the alternatives, it, it, it makes it sound even better. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think the other one that they uh, that they talked about was... Uh, I, I, they were talking, I think they were talking to the Knicks about a trade for Ennis Cantor at some point, which yeah. I don't know how much sense that would have made. Yeah. The problem with it is that they, the, the, the problem with all of this was uh, that, you know, Jabari making, and I know they, they love to talk about the financial flexibility and it essentially being a one-year contract. If you're going to trade for somebody or you're going you're to trade somebody like Jabari Parker, that's still $20 million in salary that you have to match. But it's really hard to find uh, guys that you know teams that a are willing to take on that much money b that have the ability to take on that much money and c that are willing to give up pieces uh that would actually make sense for the bulls to take back i think they found the one trade for jabari parker that actually made sense and the auto porter one i think you and i are on the same page about this but i saw you know some grumbling from some parts of bulls twitter uh, when they made that trade just about how much money he's making and if he's overpaid. And it's like, okay, my, my, my whole thing with that was at the time, is he a little bit overpaid for how good of a player he is? Yeah. 
But at a certain point, you need to start bringing in good players who are going to help you win and fit what you need. And Otto Porter is a good player who can play well with the rest of their core. And I like I thought I thought that was a home run trade for the Bulls. And you know you see then I thought that the day they made it. And then you saw how well he fit in the next couple of weeks before they kind of shut him down. But I think he's going to be a really good piece for them going forward. I certainly agree with that. It's just an interesting sliding doors moment because I mentioned the fact that they had a deal on, on place that where they could have sent Jabari either to the Lakers or, or you mentioned that Enix Canada deal. But there was also a situation there where had Bobby, Bobby Portis accepted his extension that they offered in the offseason, then that deal probably doesn't go through anyway as well because I don't know if a team like Washington are interested in trading for a Bobby Portis if they know he's coming along with a four-year, $50 million guaranteed contract beyond this season. So... You know, that was a deal that didn't happen too, but I wonder, you know, if if Bobby Portis had signed that extension and maybe we'll find out soon if, if, if he should have, maybe that was the best case scenario for him. But it's just an interesting sliding doors moment when you look at the Otto Porter trade as to what happened with Jabari, but not only with Jabari, the you know, the, the other deals that were in place, but two, you know, what would have happened if Bobby Portis signed that extension? We sort of forget about that too. Yeah, the Bulls have to really be, consider themselves lucky that he didn't. And he's a guy that, you know... I. I, I, I like Bobby a lot personally, and I think that he's going to, you know, he's still going to be a good player in this league, but I think the Bulls have to consider themselves lucky that he turned down that uh, that extension, because I don't know how he would have fit long term, uh, especially at the, at the, at the money that they, that they were going to be paying him. Now, I understand him wanting more than that, but if I were him, I maybe would have taken that money. Oh yeah, and I don't sure. know how much he's going to get this off season, but I don't. I don't think he's going to get four years, fifty million. Now, I could be wrong. I could. I, I always underestimate how much these guys are going to get, and it only takes one team, etc. But I, I, it's. I, I think. I think it worked out for, better for everybody. You know, Bobby gets kind of a fresh start, and you saw some of his comments afterwards. Uh, you know, after the trade, where he kind of felt like he was lied to about you know what his role was going to be, or whether he was going to get traded or not. Uh, and then you know the Bulls were clearly not sold on him long term. If they were, you know, if they were willing to trade him, like I, I, th- I think it worked out better for everybody, and I certainly wish Bobby the best when it comes to you know getting a new deal this summer, whether that's Washington or somewhere else. Uh, but you know, with how good of a fit Otto Porter was, I think it worked out about as well as it could have for the Bulls. Yeah, definitely. And, and look, they made another good trade as well, a, a smaller scale trade. But you know, trading out Justin Holiday to the Memphis Grizzlies for Wayne Seldon, who I think is an equivalent player to Justin Holiday, whilst also recouping two second round picks. That that was also a damn good trade too. So shout out to the Bulls for making some actual good trades this season. Something they we, we used to give them shit all the time for, but you know, back in the past that they, they never made in-season trades, but here they are making two goodies in-season trades this season. So shout out to the Bulls for doing that. I think that was an underrated part of this season, particularly the Seldon deal. You know, that's definitely my lane. I, Wayne Seldon's my guy, so I was happy with that deal. But uh, I think it makes sense, uh, Sean, to really close out this podcast and close out this season talking about coaching. Because to me, that's going to be the prevailing thought that I have about this season. That's going to be the lasting memory that I have, you know, amongst all the mess and amongst all the drama. You know, the Jabari stuff. Yeah, you know, that that was that was interesting and fun at the time. We could see where that was headed, but I had no idea how this coaching situation was going to play out. But the thing I'm going to remember most about it is Fred Hoiberg going and <laughs> Jim Boylan definitely coming in. So let's talk coaching before we close. And, and I want to start with asking did did Fred Hoiberg get a fair shot at this thing this season what's your opinion on that it's always really hard to assess the Fred stuff and I've thought about this a lot over the last four years you know you know since he got to Chicago obviously those first couple of years he got kind of a raw deal with you know the rosters that they put together and like okay he I think he definitely got a raw deal and he was always kind of being set up to be the fall guy this year 
but at the same time, I mean, they started the year, what, 5-19? and 19? You can't make the argument that he deserved to keep his job on merit. He, I, like, I, think, I, think, I think Fred is a good coach. I also think Fred is not really cut out to be an NBA head coach in terms of like the ego management and all the other stuff besides basketball that comes with the job. I was, I, I actually uh, talked to him the other day after he took the Nebraska job and, you know, he seemed, he seems like he's pretty uh, happy with his new situation. I think that's going to be a good fit for him. I think he just wasn't the right fit for this job in the first place. It just, you know, just in terms of what it comes with and what the expectations are. And, you know, Fred's a good guy and I think he's a smart basketball coach. And so I kind of felt bad for him, but you know, it 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 seems like it was gonna it was gonna go this way sooner or later. Yeah, look, I'm I'm not surprised that Fred Hoiberg got fired. I, you could see it coming if things started started poorly, and obviously they were going to given the injuries that sort of started to mount. You had Larry Markin and Bobby Portis and Chris Dunn missing the the opening sort of month or two of the season. Things were obviously going to go pretty pretty poorly pretty quickly, but. It's just interesting when you sort of com- uh, you, you sort of compare that to what Paxson said today about how the injuries really derailed this season, but Hoiberg didn't necessarily get that same benefit of the doubt, I guess. So that's my issue with the whole thing, I guess. And I, I don't know if I'll be able to move past that. Eventually, I will, I guess. I have to, but I, I just think it's a bit of a double standard. Well, do you remember the day that Fred got let go and they had the uh, press conference uh, with Paxson where he basically said that you know, they they did it. They they did it when they did it because if Markinen had come back, because remember they fired Fred like one game after Lowry Markinen yeah, actually, yeah. Uh, you know, actually came back and started playing. And so and so Paxton was basically saying, if they had let you know given Fred a little bit more time to play with Markinen, maybe they would have started playing better, and that would have maybe papered over the uh, issues that they had already seen, and then they would have maybe decided not to make the change. I don't know if I agree with that necessarily, but that is their uh, – that that was kind of their thought process with it. Yeah, no, I I certainly understand that. And, I mean, it it kind of makes sense as to what they were saying. But at the same time, it it just sort of read as, you know, Hoiberg was never Paxson's guy and, you know, he was searching or or hunting out that first moment as to when he could – uh, I guess find a, a perfect time to f- to fire Fred Hoiberg, and, and I guess he found that, and he found a time where he tried to really set up Jim Boylan to come in and, and to really, I guess, turn things around. And I guess to a degree, he did. His winning percentage was better than Fred Hoiberg's. But do you think uh, there's much separation between Fred Hoiberg or Jim Boylan in terms of the quality they are as head coaches? Obviously, very different, but are they on a different tier at all? Well, when they when the move when they made the change, the first thought I had was maybe this is going to be like, uh, I don't know. Do you remember, uh, 2000, uh, the 2010, 11 season when the Pacers, uh, were, you know, below 500 and they fired Jim O'Brien and then, uh, they elevated Frank Vogel to head coach and they kind of turned the whole season around and made the playoffs after that. I had kind of thought, okay, maybe that's the best case scenario where, you know, this, this team was underperforming and then they're going to bring in this guy who's more of like an old school, like, like, like hard nosed guy. And maybe that's going to turn it around. Clearly, after the first week, there was just no chance it was going to go that way. Uh, I think that Jim Boylan is very clearly a very smart basketball mind. I obviously read that big Q&A that Darnell had with him over at The Athletic. Uh, He knows basketball. He knows what he's talking about. I just – I wonder if he would be the best best suited in the role that he was in under Hoiberg as somebody's associate head coach who's kind of in charge of the defense – and you know is 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 in charge of all that stuff, but isn't the lead voice in the room. 
the way that you have to be when you're a head coach. I wonder if that might not be a better role for him. But, I mean, clearly they're committed to him now. And honestly, like, I saw, you know, the whole Bulls Twitter and Bulls fan base reaction when the uh, new when the Joe Cowley report came out about him getting the extension. I think it's actually good that they're doing that if that's who they want. Like, you, you and I can talk about whether we think that uh, Jim Boylan should be the long-term coach uh, for this team. And I think you and I both agree that the answer to that question is probably no. But who? what would it have been accomplishing for them to uh, put him, you know— you know, put him out there and say, hey, this is our guy. You guys have to listen to this guy. But, you know, we you buy into his vision, buy into the way he wants to coach the team. And by the way, he's on this lame duck contract making $1.6 million. And we don't know if he's going to be the long-term guy. Like, I, I think, I don't think it would have done anybody a service to just have him go into next year on a lame duck. So if they feel that he is their long-term guy, and you, again, you and I can talk about whether we agree with that or not, but... If they feel that he's the long-term guy, then they did the right thing by committing to him and actually putting some money behind it, and you know, giving him that security that that, that usually comes with you know when it, when an organization believes in a head coach and actually doing that. So I think that from that uh, from that standpoint, like I get what they were doing with the Boylan extension. Yeah, I mean, I've said it on this podcast before. I think it was when Fred Hoiberg got hired or, or landed that Nebraska job that if Jim Boylan was going to be back next season, that at least pay him like a regular NBA coach. Don't go yeah. into next season having him, you know, only earning $1.6 million and only $1 million of that being guaranteed. You know, pony up at least for one season and pay him $3 million, $4 million, whatever it is, whatever that standard median amount is for an NBA coach, at least, you know, pass off the uh, the, the impression that, you actually pay your your head coaches at a rate that makes kind of sense. So whilst I don't agree with the three-year term, I I get why they would at least want to pay him like an actual head coach. So I don't want to say I'm happy for Jim Boylan, but um, it, it makes sense for, for the Bulls to actually be treating him and, and rewarding him like an actual NBA, co- uh, NBA coach. And I think that's the only thing I could ask from of that, even though I don't necessarily agree with him coming back. But another what-if question here that I want to ask you is, Obviously, they brought in Jabari Parker. He was the main free agent target. But um, obviously, when the Bulls started really roughly, they were 5-19 and 19 under Fred Hoiberg. They didn't have a lot of depth given all that injuries. But I just wonder, had they not signed Jabari Parker for $20 million and have done what they're planning on doing this offseason and bringing in you know two or three veteran free agents using that $20 million in space, how, how, how different do you think this season plays out? Uh, are they able to... to, to uh, are they able to sort of sustain these injuries a little bit better and sort of make up the ground a little bit and not necessarily fall to 5-19? and 19. And if that takes place, uh, is the whole coaching situation looking a lot differently than what it is right now? Well, I don't know exactly who was out there uh, that they would have signed at, the, at that point in the season. I just, I, 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 I think the move would have been to keep the cap space open and just kind of do, you know, you know, take on other teams' bad contracts in order to pick up draft picks and, 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 and you know, you know, basically do what Atlanta did and do what Brooklyn did and just kind of rent out their cap space to teams that just wanted to offload bad contracts and approach the rebuild that way. That's what I would have done with it rather than giving all of their cap space to Jabari Parker basically as a PR move when it was clear from the beginning that he wasn't a good basketball player. Now that ended up working out okay because they were able to trade him for Otto Porter and that is going to be a really good trade for them in the future but they can't sit here and say they knew that that was going to be on the table when they made that trade or or when they made the signing so i i i i, I the last year at offseason made no sense to me and i it didn't make sense to me at the time it still doesn't make sense to me even though they were able to get something good out of it in the auto trade 
Yeah, I think if anything else, what what I'm suggesting here is I'm a Fred Hoiberg stand, and I'm just trying to find it. Or I just try, I'm just angling my way with these questions. But uh, look, I've probably I've defended Fred Hoiberg's on a long on a long enough here. But uh, you know, I think for, I I I think Fred's a really good guy, and he's a good coach. I think he just wasn't the right fit for this job. Yeah, I know, and that's fair. I mean, deep down, I'd probably agree with you too. But um, look, one last question before you go away. You've been very generous with your time, and I think it's fitting that we end this way. But Give me your favorite boilinisms uh, as we sort of head out here. I think Juiced and Jacked has to be number one. <laughs> that's, that's up there. I think I think it's like, okay, that's up there. Uh, we don't want to double lose by not being able to have practice the next day is up there. Uh, what, what, what else? The road dog mentality, bulls across the chest. Uh, Chandler Hutchison's soul is awesome. Uh, the the uh, You can't prepare the child for the road. Uh, am I missing any of the big ones? I, I don't remember the exact wording of it, and it's not. It doesn't have the same catchphrase as a lot of these ones do. But there was a play. Okay, Steph, Steph had an incredible like roundup, or like an, an article just rounding up yeah, all yeah. of them <laughs> on the athletic a couple of weeks ago. It was so it was so good just seeing all of them in one place. I when I was when I was younger, I had this book of like all the Yogi Berra quotes because I mean you know all the all the famous ones like it ain't over till it's over or like like if you come to a fork in the road take it but there were just so many of them like there was enough to make a whole book about uh, about them and i wonder if like jim boylan i might start calling him yogi just because he's like the yogi <laughs> yogi, the yogi boylan era of the NBA. <laughs> yogi boylan yeah Dude, let's do it like i actually i like that yogi boylan i'm, I'm down with that it makes it makes complete sense but you have your you have your podcast uh, platform. Make it happen. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm, I'm down with that. We'll, we'll put it on uh, Paul's Twitter and we'll run with it a little bit later on. But I think my favorite one is definitely the, um, you know, preparing the children for the road, not the road for the children. But there's another one where he's sort of talking about how he, I think it was Wayne Selden play where Wayne Selden dived for the ball or, or did something that, you know, some sort of hard-ass sort of play where Jim Boylan got really excited about it and how it made Boylan really want to get out there and dive on someone or something of that, something of that nature. I, I wish I had oh, the wording yes. in front of me, but um, oh my God, that, <laughs> I was, love that was amazing. Yeah, see, that, this is what I'm saying. And like, maybe, maybe I just kind of have a different perspective on this than you do because I am not actually a Bulls fan. Yeah. Like, I, 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 I lived in Chicago for several years and I spent a lot of time around the team and I still have a lot of connections there but i don't have the emotional investment in being a fan of the team and really caring whether they win or lose i'm just here for the entertainment value and i don't think there's any coach they could possibly have hired that would provide more entertainment value than we're getting out of jim boylan so like i'm i'm all about this just as 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 an impartial outsider, like I, I totally understand. Like if you're a Bulls fan and you're like, why? Like when, when are they going to start contending for a championship again? I can totally see how Jim Boylan's going to drive you up the wall because I don't think he's going to be the coach that's going to lead them back to contending anytime soon. But you know, in, in to quote a great philosopher, this is tremendous content. <laughs> well, I mean, it is, and I've got that Wayne Selden quote. I pulled it up, so it is those plays that Wayne did. That makes me want to play again. It does something to your nervous system. It makes you want to go out and dive on somebody. <laughs> I mean, whatever, Jim. That's so good. I love it. <laughs> uh, That's so good. He's a crackpot. I'll give him that. If nothing else, he's a, he, like you said, he provides good ten, uh, content. But uh, Sean, you've definitely given me good content too, mate. I appreciate you jumping on the line and uh, reviewing this weird and long and just crazy bull season with me. It's, it's fun to go back back over these sorts of things, and I'm glad we didn't necessarily dive into the minutia because um, that would have been painful. But uh, I appreciate you coming on, and before you get away, tell people when whether they can uh, follow you online. They're probably already doing so if they're listening to this show, but um, yeah, just hit them up one more time. 
Well, you can follow me on Twitter at Hiken, which is just my last name, H-I-G-H-K-I-N. Just follow me on there. Whenever I write something, I'll tweet it out. I'm, I'm, I'm here in Portland still, and so the Blazers-Thunder series is tipping off on Sunday, so I'll have coverage from there, uh, however long that goes. I don't know how long the Blazers are going to still be at the playoffs, but I'll be there. I'll, you know, So just kind of look out for that in the next couple of uh, weeks. I'll have some other playoff coverage coming up, and then you know, who knows what the future is going to hold after that. Yeah, man, I'll look uh, uh... – I um I'll, I'll be tuning into your your Portland coverage. Uh, Portland is one of those teams that I I really do enjoy. Dame Lillard. I, I don't know how anyone could dislike him as a player. I really hope they do quite some good things in the playoffs. And for your sake, obviously, hopefully they hang around deep. That way, you've got that playoff coverage coming through. But like I said, I appreciate you jumping on and talking Bulls with me, even though you're not necessarily covering the Bulls like you used to. Um, I I I I appreciate the fact that you're still able to uh to find the funny side or the humorous side of this uh like I said this long and crazy bull season. So thanks again, mate. Yeah, good to talk to you, man. So that was Sean Hyken, folks, and that was the Bulls season 2018-19 is in the books. Thank God for that. We're done. We don't have to worry about it. We don't have to think about this season too much more, which I'm very pleased with. We can move on to full draft and off-season coverage, which is what I plan on doing going forward on this podcast. I'm sure we'll allude to this season in patches, but uh, ideally... Like Jimmy Butler said, he doesn't look in the rearview mirror, so we won't be doing that here on Bulls HQ. We'll be talking draft and the offseason ahead. Look, and to be honest with you, that's probably what you want to hear anyway rather than this stupid season. So that's what we'll be focusing on. We'll be back probably next week at some stage. I'm tipping. I don't know what my schedule will be like, but generally every week there'll be a Bulls HQ episode dropping in the usual spots. As always, follow the show on Twitter at Bulls HQ Pod. Follow me at MK Hoops on Twitter. Appreciate you guys hanging in there with me all season. I know it's a tough season to go through where the Bulls are losing so heavily and there's not really much interest in this team. But if you were one of the rare few that were tuning into Bulls HQ every week, I really do sincerely appreciate your support. It means the world to me. So shout out to everyone listening. I really do appreciate it. We'll be back again next week. So until then, speak soon. Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.